Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, February 12th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Marvel Studios' WandaVision Episode 6, All-New Halloween Spooktacular. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And uh, Brad Oman is, again, not here this week. Hopefully, he will be back uh, for the next episode uh, Jacob, you are almost not here. Last I heard last night, you're like power was out in Austin. Yeah, uh, Texas is being besieged by a major ice storm right now. I lost power for about 12 hours last night. Came back this morning. My internet's been iffy all morning, but it seems to have smoothed out. So if I suddenly vanish from this podcast, don't worry, I'm not dead. I am just <laughs> battling <laughs> an ice storm. But here I am. Here I am to be uh, the, the, Yes, very low quality Marvel replacement for Sean. Unfortunately, he couldn't be here. <laughs> hey, you have insight, Jacob. We like your insight. I'll do what I can. I'll do what I can. I'm looking forward to everybody pointing out how inadequate I am. <laughs> Wait, do people actually do that? Do they email uh, you? Not yet, but they will. Okay. Okay. As you know, with these episodes, we have four segments feedback where we answer your emails our brief reactions followed by a scene-by-scene breakdown and to the speculation about future episodes. So we're going to start first with feedback. You can send your feedback to Peter at slashroom.com. I can't guarantee that we'll answer your question on a future episode. As with this show, things seem to be rapidly changing from week to week. So a lot of the emails I tend to get like are invalidated by by the next episode. Um, But I will try to get to the more interesting, relevant ones, uh, for for this for these podcasts so first we got one from uh chris w actually he tweeted in at us he said i think you nailed it when you said that wanda can't actually bring back the dead and i think the introduction of the alternate pietro further reinforces that in trying to bring back her brother the closest she can do is pull in a version of him from an alternate universe she's trying to create an ideal family but vision doesn't remember their life her children haven't really had lives, and her brother lived a completely different life than she knows. She's basically surrounded herself with a family of strangers. 
Any thoughts on that? It's a great email. <laughs> it's, it's, it, I think that is uh, a, not only makes sense within the world of the show, but makes thematic sense of trying to hide from your grief by surrounding yourself with something and stuff that doesn't actually matter or actually impact you. I, I like that a lot. The only thing that I still have some questions about is like how involved Wanda actually was in Pietro appearing um, here it, because she seemed really surprised at the end of the last episode. And there, there are some interactions throughout this episode that we'll talk about that sort of make it seem like she summoned him, but she is still like interrogating him a lot of times and, and testing him and sort of pushing and prodding and trying to figure out exactly, you know, what or who or why he is in a way that I'm not a hundred percent sure that she's like fully in control of his appearance. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. get on that later. I'm sure. Ben, I'm on the, on your side of this. I, I am not convinced that she's responsible for him being there, but we'll get to that later in this episode. Um, last week I asked about the mailman and I theorized that maybe the mailman could be that, um, uh, witness that was in protection. Uh, my friend John Armstrong pointed out that the mailman does have a driver's license on the board now. And Agnes is the only one without one. So take that for whatever that's worth. Uh, Jeremy N from Washington, DC writes in, I hate to keep the debate going because it is quite insignificant in the grand scheme of things, but I'm absolutely perplexed by the unanimous opinion on your podcast that the two police officers from Westview are, are from Westview and that the hex's effect on them was to warp that their heads wait, wait was to warp that in their heads that there there was a non-existent east view. My take on this was that there's two officers who were from a different town, Eastview. I think that's the point of Monica saying there's no Westview, but there's an Eastview. She's implying that it's odd that there's an Eastview, but no Westview. But on top of that, they're actually from Westview. But on top of that, if they were actually from Westview, where do they go after this discussion? Are they homeless? <clears throat> if their home is outside of the town, do they just stop going to work every day where uh, were they outside of the town when the hex began then why is their mind and uniform warped instead of just complete erasure of the memory uh, that they're from Eastview is just a much simpler explanation and doesn't create so much necessity for creating explanations by viewers instead of the show so I wanted to ask you Jacob because I don't think you've answered this question We've been talking about this for the last couple episodes. These these two policemen who say they're from Eastview and say that Westview doesn't exist. Do, are they from Eastview? Like, does Eastview exist? Or, like, were they changed? Were they from Westview? And they believe that they are now from Eastview. I think the listener slash writer in is, <clears throat> excuse me, completely correct. I, I didn't realize there was a debate about this. I, uh, I thought that was a joke. <laughs> I thought that was a joke in episode four is that, Westview doesn't exist. Where are you from? Eastview. If there's an Eastview and they're ignoring the Westview. I thought that was like a very on the nose bit of joke to actually <laughs> emphasize what this reader is saying. I'm completely on his or their side. Ben, any defense to the, uh, the Eastview is Westview? Um, I would have to rewatch that uh, interaction. <laughs> and as this emailer mentions, the it is it's proven to be so insignificant that I think we've already spent too much time talking about it. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. 
Uh, Scott A. from California writes in, in episode five, the moment where Agnes said, you want me to hold the body, give me serious Rosemary's baby vibes. In that movie, Rosemary's neighbor, Minnie, while much older than Agnes, manipulated Rosemary into delivering the Antichrist while serving her mysterious drinks. You know, uh, there, there was mention of a dark liquor here uh, with speculation of Mephisto being a possible part of the series. I definitely felt a major connection. Did anyone else feel any Rosemary's baby vibes with this whole sequence? It's a really good catch and one that does feed into Agnes's increasingly sinister behavior, especially in recent episodes. And as somebody who was originally not on board with the whole Agnes is secretly somebody else uh, fan theory, who's come, who's proven increasingly incorrect by that. <laughs> I'll eat my words hardcore on that. Um, I think there's something there. And the fact that she is wearing a witch costume as current one, and that she either could be one of several witchy or demonic Marvel characters. I think that I think the people who make this show are clearly well-versed enough in pop culture knowledge to quote Rosemary's Baby, even subtly. So, yes, I, I would not be surprised at this point. You know, we'll get to this later, but I'm, I'm every week I'm like flip-flopping on if I believe this whole Agatha Harkness thing. <laughs> this week I feel like I'm on the side of like, I don't think it's true, but we'll get to that later. Um, for, th- This one's a little bit crazy. I'm going to say that ahead of time, but I, I thought I was interested enough to mention it. Friend and occasional slash film contributor Nate Pester wrote in, uh, I know there's a lot of crazy rabbit hole deep dives about all the tiger imagery in the last episode, especially whenever Agnes was on screen. There's a there's this the quote that Agnes makes um, about there's no taming this tiger about her off screen hu- husband, Ralph, who, by the way. There's a lot of theories revolving around Ralph and who is Ralph. Is Ralph the 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 witness? Is Ralph Mephisto? Like, you know, the, the people because Ralph has never shown up on screen. A lot of people have been wondering about it, Ralph. But anyways, uh, that that's uh, neither here nor there. Um, there's also a tiger table decorative decoration when Agnes appears with the doghouse. There's also this weird golden throne that Santa Vision sits on during the opening credits that has this tiger-like armrest. We know that Wanda Vision leads directly into Doctor Strange 2, but there was also leads directly into Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi was supposed to be the first Marvel movie to directly follow WandaVision before Black Widow in Eternals got delayed. What if Agnes is really the White Tiger from the Sons of the Tiger? Both Robert Diamond and Abe Brown appear in the fake credits who are already members of the Sons of the Tiger, and Agnes's brooch could be one of those mystical amulets that gives her powers i'm not saying agnes is going to start doing kung fu soon but could this be a reference to the ten rings at all jacob i have to throw this to you because this seems crazy to me but i don't really know i I can't connect the comic book dots here this is a super deep cut even so far beyond my my corner of marvel knowledge so a heads up like real big props to nate for (laughs) for pulling this one out however I, i do think that if ralph is somebody um, my personal theory, having not been on this show for a few episodes, is that if R- Ralph could be Mephisto, and I think we've seen Ralph. I think he's he's the animal who's been in every single episode of the show, whether it be a rabbit or a claymation shark. There's been an animal in every episode, who and mm. you know, devil takes many forms. And if, Agne- if, if Agnes is Agatha Harkness, if she is a witch, maybe she is working for Ralph Mephisto, trying to uh, bring deliver something 
to him. Maybe Wanda's children, for instance. I don't know. I'm just throwing out my little corner of Marvel knowledge. So I, I think that there is something here. I'm not sure if it's connected to Shang-Chi, but I do think Ralph is someone we have seen but not know it. You know, in my research for this podcast every week, I, I do a lot of like looking at Twitter, looking at other people's theories and stuff like that. And I I have not heard this animal theory. This is like a new one, Jacob. So really? I yeah, there's, a, there's a lobster, there's a rabbit, there's a dead dog. And very telling me there's a claymation shark in this one, not to get ahead of ourselves, who literally uh, does a devil's curse with a, with a starving claymation child and gives him magic that kills him. So <laughs> I think there's something to be read there. Hmm. Okay, George from Johannesburg writes in with a theory. I was paying attention to Monica's words after she shot at her outfit. Uh, Monica says Wanda is manipulating reality, and we see her clothes changed from when she entered and remained the same as the sitcom reality when she was thrown out. Could this imply that Wanda is actually using the hex to fix Vision's corpse so that he comes out alive at the end of the show. The trailer show him trying to escape. Maybe he comes out alive. You know, what? I put this in here before I actually saw this episode. And I think uh, this episode kind of proves this wrong, right? <laughs> this theory that, that he could come out alive. Yeah, it certainly seems like he uh, <laughs> is, is um, experiencing some uh, malfunctions and some ill effects from trying to escape the hex, yes. Okay, we'll move on from that. Uh, Jordan from Seattle writes in about our debate on whether Pietro reveal at the end of the episode required too much work or knowledge from fans ahead of time. Um, I think this mainly came from your conversa- uh, Ben's conversation with David Chen, in which David was kind of wondering if people who had not seen the x-men movies would this moment still mean something to them at the end of uh the last week's episode um jordan wrote in he said well i've watched the mcu movies uh, while i've watched all the mcu movies i haven't watched any of the x-men movies other than logan in the past 15 years so i had no idea that pietro's actor was from the recent x-men movies and the moment was still awesome confusion wonder Why'd they recast him? What's going on? And by itself, I just loved it. Once I learned later, uh, later the next day on uh, Twitter, who the actor was, it was even better, but I definitely didn't feel lost or frustrated without the knowledge. In my opinion, some people might be overthinking things and underestimating both Marvel's ability to be accessible and less to less knowledgeable fans ability to enjoy the story on its own merits so uh jacob you weren't here last week what, what did you think of that moment at the end of last week's episode it's a super cool moment and one that really blows some doors wide open and i didn't think about this too I, I really thought is this a moment people will appreciate and <laughs> my, my joking thing is that whenever i think there's something too confusing in marvel i call my mom because she watches a lot of Marvel stuff, and I find out, did she find it confusing? <laughs> but she's behind a WandaVision, so I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't lock this one in. But I'm glad to hear that it played for somebody who who isn't as keyed in as we are. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's go into brief reactions. Ben, I haven't heard much from you yet, so let's start with you. Um, I thought this episode was okay. Uh, you know, it, it sort of felt like it's just the story is like chugging along a little bit and it's sort of, um, you know, confirming some stuff that we've been theorizing about for a while. And, uh, you know, I like the production design elements and the costumes and the throwbacks and little Easter eggs and references and stuff like that. But in terms of like the episode overall, um, 
I, I didn't really feel much when I was watching it. I wasn't like super emotionally invested in ways that I have been in the past. It sort of, um, I don't know, it felt kind of like a, like it was spinning its wheels a little bit. Um, but yeah, that, that I, I also just watched the episode one time um, for today, uh, right before we started recording. So normally I watch it twice before we do this. So maybe uh, if I were to, watch it a second time, I would, I would pick up on more things or sort of be hit in, in emotional ways, uh, differently than I was just on, on one viewing. But, um, that's where I am right now. I mean, I do agree with you. It's probably less emotional than, uh, some of the past episodes. I think I liked it more than you. Uh, I, you know, last week, I feel like I was very down on the sitcom aspect of the show. Like I, I felt like it didn't really capture the 80s sitcoms that I loved and even like the whole special episode, it's kind of a downer. It didn't really like the jokes weren't kind of hitting for me and stuff like that. And I feel like this week's episode kind of flipped the flipped it for me. Whereas like this kind of captures the late nineties, early two thousands TV sitcoms. um, And it kind of does it in a way that I wish the last episode did with the eighties. The, uh, you know, it's just the tone is perfect. The talking to the camera, the whip pans, the flashback, mm-hmm. the the score, all the comedy, like it all like really hit for me. Uh, what didn't work for me were last week, you know, the MCU stuff worked for me better than the sitcom. This week, the MCU stuff, I was like, this sword stuff kind of feels like phase one Marvel shield silliness to me. So I, I don't know. I, I, I think like Hayworth is uh, Hayward is kind of over the top. I don't know. I, I guess I got to see more of that. I love the Halloween costumes. I love how these episodes are no longer just tackling, you know, being a tribute and parody of the sitcoms of the decade, but also tackling like, you know, the special episodes like last week was, you know, the, the very special episode. This was like the Halloween episode. Um, I like that it's doing this kind of new fun things. Uh, I think where this is headed at the very end of this episode is really compelling to me. I'm very excited about it. Jacob, what did you think? I think I'm a little warmer than both of you. It's definitely a plot heavy episode. It's an episode that feels really compelled to uh, accelerate the plot, you know, pedal to the metal and get us into a position for the end game, the final three episodes of the show. And maybe it suffers a bit for that, but there are really arresting haunting moments in it. I think all the stuff with the vision alone on the edge of town is really creepy in a way the show uh, is really good at capturing and I, I, and as somebody who grew up watching the Nick and Knight stuff, so was familiar with the early episodes, seeing like the late '90s, early 2000s sitcom stylings of, you know, My Name Is Earl, or um, more specifically, uh, Malcolm in the Middle, or maybe even like Rest of Development, seeing that being so ca- captured so perfectly, I feel weirdly attacked because this is the stuff that I I grew up watching very specifically, and it's just a reminder that I think that maybe the nineties were the worst possible time for aesthetics in any, in any period in human history. <laughs> and I, I find it, it, it really skeeved me out by how gross this style is, the music and the fonts and the, and the wardrobes. <laughs> I hated it all so much, but in a way that's very accurate. Uh, but yeah, um, in addition to it, um, capturing that style, I think really well, that very specific early single camera sitcom style. I, I, I like the plot pieces coming together. I, I get that maybe it's not as evocative or as uh, emotional or as, you know, um, thematically in- interesting as the past few were. Uh, but this is a plot episode. And as far as plot episodes go, I thought I got the job done. But I'm also not going to sit here and, and like, 
say you two are wrong for not thinking it's the best episode because it's not the best episode. It's a, it's a plot episode. <laughs> I do feel that 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 scene that you're talking about where Vision's walking down that cul-de-sac and nobody is moving or they're kind of like uh, in a cycle of actions. I think that would have played better for me like a couple episodes ago when I I, I think I know where things are going and it, it doesn't register as like as striking as like the other moments in these shows, like that moment at the dinner in the first episode or when, you know, um, Geraldine mentions Ultron, you know, those kind of moments in the show are like when Vision is kind of has this flash of he's dead. I feel I feel like the the moment it, it is very striking. It's striking imagery and I, I really like it. But I think we all kind of have some idea of what's going on, and that kind of takes a little bit out of it for me. I don't know. But you're not you're not incorrect, but I think that vision doesn't know what's going on. And somebody who's invested yeah. in vision at this point, I think Paul Bettany's good enough to put me in his shoes and to, and to sell that horror as an actor. So you are not incorrect once again. You know I think nobody's ever incorrect, Peter. We're we're, we're all friends here. <laughs> uh, but I, I do think that the scene works because Bettany's that good of an actor. You know what? I think you you hit it for me. Is I think I have problems in movies when I am way ahead of the character that we're supposed to be like. I I mean I think Vision is kind of more of the protagonist of the story than Wanda. So I, I like him. I feel like we are so far ahead of him at this point that it's kind of frustrating. But I don't know. Maybe that's maybe he's going to catch up by the next episode. So um, okay, let's go into the beat by beat. Um, the title of this episode is the all new Halloween spooktacular. Great title. What a, what a fantastic, sorry. What a fantastic title. I love it yes. so much. I, it re- I just feel like, like it would have been really easy to do another sitcom episode. Another like, you know, let's do fresh Prince and, you know, later seasons of full house or even, you know, everybody loves Raymond, but instead they went right to this very specific era. And I, like I said, I think that more, like you said, you said to yourself, you think the 80s, they kind of missed their mark a little bit, and I agree, but I think the 90s stuff here, down to this title, is so evocative of me at 13 or 14 watching this crap. Yeah. Um, by the way, they've said that this show takes place a few weeks after the events of Endgame, you know, the blip, and Endgame takes place in October 2023, so I kind of wonder, not that this matters, but I wonder if this episode is actually in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's actually set on Halloween in 2023. I'm sure that won't come to play in any way, but it was just something I was thinking about. <laughs> so, um, okay. Uh, I also want to mention that the previously on does not address Pietro being from the X-Men movies. Uh, they showed a clip from Ultron, and they could have easily shown a clip from the Fox movies with like you know Darcy talking over like why did they recast him or something like that to let the the audiences that don't know know but they chose not to story wise so i think that's interesting uh the opening and the whole sitcom kind of inspiration of this episode i think it seems largely inspired by Malcolm in the Middle which i've only seen like one episode of but it seems like Jacob you are a huge fan of Malcolm in the Middle it sounds like so it, it, did this really capture that yeah, I want to say it's one of those shows where I watched it a lot when I was younger, especially in those early seasons. And I trailed off pretty hard as it went on. 
Uh, but yeah, this is from the kid, from the you know precocious kid talking to the camera to the stylized opening credits to um, the, the the manic flashbackness of it all. Just like these joke after joke and people screaming constantly. <laughs> this is uh, uh, this is a really pitch perfect rep- replica, uh, a fetization, if you will, of the Malcolm in the Middle for- uh, for- formula. In a way that gave me, like, like I said earlier, very strange flashbacks to, like, you know, my youth in particular. Not Nick and Night youth, but actual watching things because I want to watch them youth. Uh, it, uh, Ben, were you watching like Malcolm Middle or this era of sitcom? Did, did it register for you at all? Uh, my wife watched Malcolm in the Middle. I missed that entire show. I don't think I've ever seen a single episode of it. And I was just looking this up when you were talking, and it looks like uh, Malcolm in the Middle premiered uh, on January 9th, 2000, and ended in 2006. So I wonder if we sort of missed a 90s episode, or if that that 80s episode that you know we we're talking about last week, Peter, that didn't really work for us, if a, a part of the reason maybe that it didn't quite work is because it was sort of blending the 80s and 90s stuff together. Um, because I know that there's a, a modern family, uh, themed episode, if you will, coming up because we've seen some of that in, in, uh, upcoming trailers. Um, and that seems like it has to be, you know, the next decade, like the, the 2010s to 2020 kind of period. So if, if this episode is actually early two thousands, then it sort of feels like we skipped the nineties, but, um, I don't know if that matters at all in the the grand scheme of what this show is doing, but I think we had all just, just you know assumed like oh there's nine episodes each one is going to be tackling a different decade and seem to not quite be playing out that same way. Yeah, no, that's a good point, and I I would actually say last week's episode to me, the reason why it didn't connect in the way I, I wanted to is you know I, I I was born in the early '80s and I think last week's episode was more influenced by the early '80s sitcoms than it was like the late '80s that I would have you know mm-hmm. would have grown up watching like more like uh well like family ties or yeah you know, which actually makes the the blending of the 90s stuff or maybe the loss of the 90s stuff like even more uh of a stark thing right like because if it's you know if, if that uh, episode was primarily early 80s and then it skipped not only the late 80s but all of the 90s and just jumped straight to the early 2000s that's like a pretty big leap in time but anyway yeah that's a good note Okay, so this opening is fantastic. Uh, I want to note that Agnes is in it, and she's wearing the word naughty written on the back of her pants, uh, which was notable enough that the uh, the text-to-speech for the, uh, the, the blind person, uh, the, 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 the audio track for uh, people who can't see well, um, actually noted that. So whatever. I, I think that's funny. Uh, and, of course, uh, Pietro gets played by himself, uh, in the credits and the theme song says we never know who is coming by to play so uh it, ben do you have any thoughts on the opening well I, because i didn't watch malcolm in the middle um i can't say like how accurate it was but it definitely felt uh like a good you know approximation of that kind of yeah generic like style kind of stuff so i, I don't have any like uh, specific call outs there but it felt um it, it was shorter than the previous one which i appreciated yeah it almost like felt like pete and pete to me but maybe that was just the song that was playing um okay uh billy talks to the camera while wearing a halloween costume uh this halloween costume is this dark blue costume with a red cape Looks a little familiar to me. Almost looks like Doctor Strange. Uh, Jacob, I got to hand this to you because you could probably tell me why. 
Yeah, he's actually wearing uh, the costume of Wiccan, who is the older version of this character in the Marvel Comics, who, as discussed in previous episodes, these characters have a very turbulent, weird history of being actual children and then not being children and then being reborn and reincarnated and then dying again. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the teenage version, who becomes a young Avenger of this character, uh, who uses the name Wiccan, who has his mom's magical powers, has this costume, the headband, the red cloak, the blue outfit... It's definitely there's definitely Doctor Strange in there, but this is a homemade version of that not so famous costume, unless you're uh, you know someone who reads Marvel comics, which is yeah. really fun to see because it. I said this in a previous episode, but I genuinely think we're going to see a Young Avengers movie or, or TV show in within the next decade, and I think they're I think this is the first card being played that direction. You know, I didn't do the research on this, but does that character become the Sorcerer Supreme at some point? I am not enough of a Young Avengers fan to say yes or no, uh, but but he definitely has a lot of crossover. I mean, more so in the comics, Wanda and Doctor Strange are actual magic users as opposed to you know Wanda being a you know subject of experimentation. Yeah. Uh, so I, if you're look, this is why you get Sean for these when he doesn't show up. So it, it makes the show worse, Peter. <laughs> well, I, I read that someone said that on Twitter, so I, I think that's true. But I, I, I have not uh, that one. I did not actually research because I thought you would know. So, <laughs> look, I, I've actually, I actually have read the original Young Avengers run from um, from that first, you know, published, and it's very, very good. And I like these characters a lot. But to, to, to tell you, I have followed them since then, and I've read all Young Avengers comics. I, I would be lying to your face or to your voice, Peter. I'm looking this up as we speak, and uh, I don't know. Looks too complicated for me to answer. It looks like it, yeah, keep looks the recap like going. I, I will. I will figure this out within the next five minutes. Asking in five minutes to explain the answer to this question again. And I'll have an answer. No, he he eventually became Sorcerer Supreme of Earth, replacing Doctor Strange. So, so it is a similar costume. So there, there we go. Um, okay, so Wanda is. I mean, everybody's wearing some great costumes here. Uh, Wanda's wearing her Scarlet Witch costume from the comics, and so is Vision, who thinks he's wearing like a pro wrestling cost like a luchador or something. Um, we get a flashback to the Halloween when her and her brother got typhus and Wanda remarks that that's not how she remembers it. To which Pietro comments that she's probably suppressing the trauma. A little on the nose, right? But funny. Um, uh, also worth noting that Pietro notes how lame his costume was and on further inspection and from some, some tweets I saw on Twitter, he seems to be wearing a Nick Fury costume or maybe he's just wearing a bad costume with like an eye patch. But it looks like it could be Nick Fury. And uh, a lot of people on Twitter are saying Wanda is wearing an outfit in uh, her hair. Her hair's the style of um, Black Widow. But I'm not quite sure that fits because she's also wearing like antennas. What do you guys make of this? Like, is 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 this supposed to be Black Widow and Nick Fury? Like, I don't think anybody would even know who Black Widow was at the time that they were children, right? Yeah, that's what I was wondering when you posted this earlier in our in our Slack. I was kind of wondering, like, when, like, what year did Black Widow become active? And I feel like she, you know, even if she was sort of, uh, you know, spying around. Uh, the Eastern Europe or whatever at that time, um, I feel like she would have been sort of undercover or like not a public figure in the same way that she is, you know, post the Battle of New York, where she's like part of the Avengers and 
probably, you know, school children know who all of these people are. Um, so the idea that like a very young Wanda, I'm just not sure, or yeah, a very young Wanda might, would be dressing up as Black Widow. I don't know if the timeline really works on that, but uh, maybe it's just, you know, a fun little nod that's not supposed to be literal, but just like, well, we had to dress these kids up in something. So here, let's do a little kind of call out to another Marvel thing. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't think uh, Tony Stark would have let her infiltrate Stark Industries if there would, you know, she was so well known that little kids were dressing up with her right. around the world for Halloween. So uh, I, as HT said in our Slack channel, when I was trying to get to the bottom of this, uh, it's not like Black Widow invented the side braid. So, <laughs> uh, OK. Um, oh, Peter, I looked up the specifics for you, as promised. Yes. Uh, Wiccan becomes Sorcerer Supreme in a glimpse of a, of a possible future where he's where Dr. Strange is retired and he's taken over. So that, oh. that's our full answer. Hmm. Okay, so Wanda is unhappy to learn that Vision is going out as part of the Neighborhood Watch and can't watch, and can't, can't join them for trick or treating. Pietro offers to help escort the kids and even speeds away with Tommy to return with matching speedster costumes. Uh, we then cut to Sword Base, where Monica and Hayward get into a bit of an argument. Mo- Monica argues that if Wanda is the problem, she also has to be their solution, and Hayward says that. Monica has been hasn't been a help since she's been there to the mission and that her love of super powered individuals due her due to her past relationship with Captain Marvel is, you know, clouding her vision. He says that people who were blipped away have no idea what it was like and what it took to keep the lights on. And uh, Hayward says that she doesn't have the stomach for this job and has her Darcy and Wu escorted out three of them. Somehow take out some sword soldiers with their limited combat experience. And uh, this whole thing feels really silly to me. I'm not sure if it's the actor that plays Hayward is. It's just so bad. Like, is it just me or like, is this whole thing kind of silly? I I think it sucks. Um, Like all (laughs) all of the sword stuff in this entire episode, I found to be just excruciating. Um, and, And a lot of it throughout the whole season, frankly, has been pretty rough i mean i think when when darcy and jimmy woo first show up it it gave a little bit of life to it and i appreciated monica's introduction with the you know flashback in the hospital and stuff like that um but otherwise i think the sword stuff has been like a huge uh like it it just sort of grinds everything to a halt and i understand like the you know that you need that and it, it has to you know to make this this plot function it's a necessary prong of this multi pronged story but man, I just wish it was written better. And I think you nailed it, Peter, when you said it just sort of feels like phase one, like, yeah, just like old, old, boring, you know, shield stuff. Like just yeah. um, there, there's got to be a better way to, to pull this off. And I, I mean, I'm not a professional writer, <laughs> so I, I don't know how to do it. But uh, as a viewer, I just like I sort of cringe when I watch this stuff because it just feels like so flat and uninteresting to me. I mean, I get that Hayward is supposed to be a dick and I'm sure... We're gonna find out he he he's you know one of the villains of the show, but there's no subtlety whatsoever there. It just feels like so on the nose. J- Jacob, what, what do you think of Hayward and Shield? No hard feelings on them, <laughs> honestly. I mean, they're they've become like or you sword. Guys said. I, I'm sorry, I said uh, Shield Sword. Yeah, like I said, I, I think Shield Phase One is an accurate description here. I'm not mad at it, like. <laughs> 
<laughs> like that is, but also I do think this is definitely the weakest aspect of the show. Um, I, I, I do think that letting Jimmy Woo win a fight is, is fine because quite frankly, I need, I need him to be a winner, Peter. I need the goofy FBI agent to, to not be just a goofball, to actually be a, a, a useful ally in the episodes ahead. So I'm all for Jimmy Woo getting some blood on his fists. And I like those three. I, I really like, uh, their adventures together and them going rogue. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I do wish that there was a less generic flavor to sword at this point. Yeah. And then they go to dis- in disguise uh, with the costume or the sol- the uniforms from the down soldiers. Um, Pietro is helping the twins trick or treat. They've run up to a house and he yells, unleash hell, demon spawn. Uh, I wanted to ask <laughs> you, Jacob, is this just a joke? Is this just funny or... You know, we've been talking about Mephisto, Demon Spawn might seem like there might be something there. Yeah, I mean, considering these characters' origins in the comics, where there literally is a deal with the devil, more or less, to bring him to creation. The, five episodes ago, I would have said, oh, it's just a joke. That's the kind of joke sitcom uncles make. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that is a, a joke a sitcom uncle makes that feels a little bit too close to everything we've been talking about for six episodes now. So... I'm not going to say one thing or another. I've already eaten so many words based on my first two episodes of predictions, Peter. Uh, but I, I think there's something here. Well, uh, Wanda is quizzing Pietro about his past, but his different look. And Pietro speeds off with Billy and Tommy. Uh, and uh, Wanda says, kick ass, which I think is a fun reference to the comic book movie starring Aaron Taylor Johnson, who originally played her brother in Avengers Age of Ultron alongside co-star Evan Peters, who played Pietro in the X-Men movies and in the show. So uh, I thought that was a fun kind of reference. Uh, Herb, it, Herb is uh, patrolling the area as part of the neighborhood watch, but missing all the antics of the twins. She learns from him that Vision is actually not working for the neighborhood watch tonight, as he had claimed, and is up to some no good. And uh, Herb is dressed as Frankenstein, which uh, I think you could read a bunch of different meanings here. The Frankenstein, like maybe Vision is Frankenstein. He's brought back from the dead. Maybe. I remember a couple episodes ago, there was a moment where Herb was going to tell Vision something and was cut off and said, Mm -hmm. we are all dot, dot, dot. And I theorized that he might say dead instead of trapped. And uh, what if what if the people of this town are all dead? I don't know. Jacob, I hate to go to you again, but I know you are our resident uh, Universal Monsters guy. So I got to ask you, you know, what, what is the the metaphor here with the Frankenstein? Or is it just a fun costume? I think it's just a fun costume. But I will say that in Bride of Frankenstein, as uh, the, the castle crumbles around them or the, or the laboratory crumbles around them, Frankenstein's monster does uh, shout out, we belong dead. <laughs> so, but I, don't, I think that's me stretching way too much. I think it's just a fun, generic Halloween costume. But I've been so wrong, Peter. I've been so wrong. <laughs> I think we know that these people are not dead because of the way that uh, Vision like tapped into uh, his co-worker's head in the last week's episode. Um, and he does it again with Agnes here. And we can talk about that in, in a few minutes. But just the the way that he sort of like unlocks the and, and gets under the... Uh, this, um, you know, version of themselves that Wanda is sort of like projecting or forcing them to inhabit. Um, and and it, he like unlocked the real 
guy who was like trapped in there. And we see in this episode, this woman who is, who's, you know, crying a single tear as she's doing this uh, repetitive motion. I feel like, you know, dead people wouldn't be uh, behaving in that way. So I think, I think it's more of like a sunken place kind of scenario. I, I don't know, Ben, they seemed like zombies to me. And you know what zombies are? They're dead. So, <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm going to beat this, uh, this theory until it's disproven completely. <laughs> Uh, okay, so Vision is walking in another street in this town, and he sees a woman in the front yard cycling through the same motion over and over again, and she has a tear coming down her cheek. The husband in the background is setting a jack-o'-lantern on the front porch of the house over and over again. Uh, ben, what do you think is going on here? Yeah, that's what I was just referring to. I think it's just like a the... Uh you know, further confirmation based on what we saw last week, that there are real people inside of these uh, bodies that, you know, may appear to be, you know, just like smiling avatars of uh, neighborhood fun, but are actually people who are in incredible pain, who are being, you know, forced to, uh, to behave this way to sort of fit in with Wanda's, um, you know, vision of utopia. So uh, I think it's just another physical representation of like, uh, the fact that, maybe Wanda's, um, you know, power set is like, uh, she's starting to, it's, it's kind of an extension of what we were talking about last week. Like, is she just getting a little bit lazy and like letting her guard down because she no longer wants to hide and, or is all of this requiring so much power that she is like no longer capable of like keeping up the, um, you know, the facade on the level that she once was when, when Westview first started, like, you know, you see all these people sort of on the edges of the town and stuff. We'll talk about that. But um, the fact that this woman is like openly crying um, maybe indicates that uh, that, you know, some of that humanity is like actually able to escape um, now. So maybe slowly over the course of the rest of the season, we're going to be able to see more signs of these people sort of, um, you know, trying to burst out of their own, uh, you know, their own entrapment, I guess. Okay, let's talk about this commercial because I think this is um, one of the most vague commercials yet. Like, I've seen a lot of interpretations online, and it doesn't seem like in the previous ones, it seems like most people have the same idea. And this one, ha- there's different ideas here. Okay, so this is a rad 1990s claymation commercial. A kid is stuck on a stranded island, dying of hunger. A shark wearing glasses, sunglasses, shows up and tosses him some food, a yogurt cup. But the kid is unable to open the cup of Yo Magic. Uh, We fast forward through time until the boy dies and turns into a dead skeleton laying on the beach. The tagline is the snack for survivors. It's also like the probably the most dark commercial yet. So, uh... (laughs) Jacob, you were mentioning the the shark and stuff earlier, so I wanted to get away. What do you think this commercial is? Oh, like I said, if my if this crackpot animal theory has any water, it really leads to the idea of each animal's presence being somehow satanic or in this or Mephisto or or connected to that in some way. But there's definitely a deal with the devil happening here. Idea of here's some food to help you survive, uh, but being unable to open the food and wasting away, being unable to control the magic, the yo magic, so to speak. So if, if we're dealing with the idea of all these commercials being tied to Wanda, her origin, or what's actually happening to her, then the idea of making a deal with the cool shark, a.k.a. maybe the devil, uh, to have 
exactly what you need. Here's what you want. You need this food. You need your family back. You need a family. Uh, but it's all going to die around you is how I read this. Ben, I'm, I'm guessing you have a different interpretation. Well, it's interesting because I, I just thought about this um, as we were talking. I, I couldn't quite wrap my head around a uh, an analysis of what this thing might be. And I like Jacob's idea, but I also just uh, just remembered from my, you know, trapped in old portions of my brain. I, uh, I had a minor in uh, classical studies when I went to college. So like Greek and Roman mythology and history and stuff like that. And there's this uh, this myth of Tantalus this character in in Greek mythology who like um, he, he's punished by basically like uh, not being able to. Um, I, so the Wikipedia page says he was made to stand in a pool of water beneath a fruit tree with low branches with the fruit ever eluding his grasp and the water always receding before he could take a drink. So it's like this sort of, um, yeah, the, the sort of like punishment of like, you know, these things being so close and, and yet so far, and you never actually being able to get this stuff. And it sort of reminded me of that, um, you know, this kid, like having food on this Island, you know, having this food handed to him, but he, him being too weak to actually open this thing up. And it, you know, this, this, uh, sustenance is right there, but the tragedy of not being able to access it. And then it also, there was, uh, one of the previous, um, uh, commercials had some like Greek, mythology sort of uh uh imagery in there with like people wearing togas and I, I don't remember exactly what the uh product was for but it was like a couple episodes ago and somebody was like um it was it hydra been, soak yeah the soak one it might have been yeah um and i think there were people like waving palm fronds and stuff and i want to say that they were wearing you know if you if you go back and look at the aesthetic of that i think it's it's sort of in line with like the um you know, Clash of the Titans-esque uh, aesthetic of what we uh, envision like Greek mythological figures to be. So um, maybe there's some sort of tie-in there. I don't know what that would be uh, really exactly, but that the the myth of Tantalus uh, uh, jumped into my head as we were talking just now. Ben, you're, you are completely correct. This is actually a really, really cool comparison. And I will say that I, I do think that since the Marvel Universe versus, you know, demonic figures aren't necessarily defined by judeo-christianity the idea of our shark being an all-encompassing force of godlike evil and from any corner any like monolithic you know human read i think we had the same theory but from different directions <laughs> <laughs> um but the previous commercials have all dealt with like wanda's traumas from her past and this one doesn't seem to be that i don't know my first thought was does the yogurt represent Wanda's magic in the person is vision and without her powers, he's dead. Um, I talked to my friend, John Armstrong, and he suggested that like, maybe it's saying that magic doesn't bring back the dead. Uh, th that's why only survivors can open and eat yo magic. I don't know. Uh, others online. I saw theorizing that this could be about the snap. I think it's that word survivors. Um, in the, at the end, it says the snack for survivors. I also was thinking like Wanda and Pietro were left starving in the rubble for days, um, as, as children. And then Hydra gave them magical powers, but they didn't die. Or I guess he ended up dying. I don't know. I, I'm just wondering how is this personal to Wanda? Like, I, I, I do like what you're saying, Ben, and that, that, that gives it a much deeper interpretation but like how is this 
Personally. I wonder if it's about the son, like, you know, because we see later that one of her sons has that sort of the same magical abilities or similar magical abilities that that she does. Um, so maybe it's about the kid, like n- not being able to to fully harness his powers. Maybe it's like a, uh, you know, a, a portentous vision of things to come kind of kind of thing and not necessarily uh, directly tied into Wanda, but more into her children since they're becoming you know, more central figures in the show. Hmm. Okay. We'll, we'll get back to this a little later because I think I have more to say a little bit. Um, Wanda Pietro and the twins walk through the town square. There's a movie theater in the background and it's playing the parent trap and the Incredibles. Uh, one movie is about a super family with super kids with power similar to Wanda and Pietro. And the other movie is about a set of twins who switch places, which is kind of funny. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I guess I guess uh, the Incredibles came out in what 2004 and I think the parent trap was the late 90s so maybe this is a way you know th- there's no way that both of those movies should be playing in the same theater at the same time but maybe this is just the, the show's uh, version of like trying to nod to the fact that this is taking place in like an amalgamation of those two time periods I don't know but babe, where, was the, where was the rep screening of 1960s parent trap <laughs> I guess it could have been yeah <laughs> Also, should we know that Night of Living Dead is playing for the Halloween Festival, the movie that every, um, every anyone who has a Halloween festival uses that movie because it's public domain. So I, think it's, I don't think we need to find any... Are there any like clues hidden in Night of Living Dead for this? Or is it just the fact that that is the go-to public domain horror movie for any single Halloween scene? Peter thinks that everybody's dead, so... I mean, they, they are zombies kind of later in the episode, so maybe there's something that... I don't know. Uh, I did write down that, that film nerd about the Incredibles being released in November 2004 and Parent Trap being released in July 1998. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> Jacob could be right that this this could be like one of those movie theaters that we have in L.A. where we're just always showing like older movies or I guess if this is supposed to take place in the 90s. Actually, we don't know when this is supposed to take place, do we? It could be the 2000s. We could have just fast forward to the 2000s, as you you said earlier, Ben. So. But then, like, it could be, like, showing a new movie and an old movie. Okay, I guess we don't need to think about this. It's just a fun reference. Okay, we're, we're getting too, too uh, concerned with uh, stupid uh, film nerds. Peter, you forgot the part where the Incredibles and the Parent Trap are both fine Disney products. Oh, I'm, I didn't even I'm think just, about that. That honestly did not even occur to me, <laughs> Jacob, which is kind of funny that they're both movies that Disney owns. Okay, that's funny. But they don't own... Uh, the the movie that's playing nobody does night living dead had a, a copyright um misfiling in the 60s so nobody owns it yeah well disney could have just put their own i guess they don't have a zombie movie they could have put like um like that mickey mouse uh the the one that plays with like the uh the cartoon with the um what am i thinking the skeletons and stuff if they really wanted to sell me they would put mr boogity on there and that would have been a real disney plus deep cut <laughs> okay uh wanda questions pietro and and he lays it all out he's playing his part quote to come to town unexpectedly create tension with brother-in-law stir up trouble with the rugrats and ultimately give you grief that's his role in this sitcom and uh <laughs> i don't know I'm, I'm still wondering who sent pietro because <laughs> We'll, we'll we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Wanda asks what ha- what happened to his accent. Uh, he basically asked what happened to her accent. 
The details of her his death are fuzzy, he says. He says, I got shot like a chump in the street for no reason at all. And next thing I know, I heard you calling me. I knew you needed me. So this is interesting because in the last episode, when the doorbell rang, she told Vision that she didn't cause this, that she, and I, I honestly believe her. Like, I don't feel like she's, she was lying to Vision in that moment. And she keeps asking all these questions that makes me believe that she didn't know that she wasn't expecting to show up. So if she, if he heard her calling him, I guess I'm gonna, I'm asking you guys like who actually called him there? Like, did she unexpectedly like, did, did she subconsciously call him there from another multiverse? Like, do either of you have any theories on what's going on? Go ahead, Jacob. Oh, I, the answer is the easy answer is no. I, I, I think that it, it's so intentionally vague. In fact, that he has more awareness than virtually anyone else in this world it makes that an even bigger question. What does he know compared to, you know, vision or anybody else trapped in this world? I, I was leaning toward a subconscious thing toward her having ripped him from another dimension. Cause she couldn't, you know, bring back, you know, her actual dead brother, but maybe it is somebody trying to appease her. If there is somebody else helping pulling the strings, somebody else ripped him from their dimension to fill the gap and make sure her, her, you know, faux family uh, portrait is complete. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, Peter, but Ben, maybe you something smarter to say than me. No, no, I, I really don't. I think it's really, it's one of those two options. I think it's either like uh, the Evan Peters character is um, somebody that we, you know, is like the big bad of this series in disguise or something like that, a villain in disguise, or it is a subconscious sort of conjuring of that character that even Wanda doesn't, you know, isn't fully aware of of how or why she brought that character. But I, I do like the idea, the the double meaning of uh, I'm here to give you grief, like the, you know, that, that phrase um, working on multiple levels there. So, um, uh, you know, from the very beginning, we've been talking about how this is a show that is going to be about Wanda dealing with this concept of grief and losing vision and all that. And it seems like um, she hasn't really dealt with the vision aspect as much, but she is and has been over the course of the past couple episodes, um, like slowly coming to terms with the loss of her brother, um, which I, I don't know. This is one of the reasons that like, I'm disappointed we haven't seen more of these characters uh, in an in-depth way in the MCU before, because age of Ultron happened so many years ago within the events of the MCU that you would think, and grief is like a super complicated thing. And I don't mean to be, to belittle it in any way, but I, I feel like, Wanda as a character might have been able to um, maybe you would assume that maybe that character would have been able to, to start grappling with that loss uh, earlier than now on the timeline, if that makes any sense. But in her, in her timeline, she lost only a few weeks ago. She was blinked out. So she's it's still incredibly raw for her. Mm. I, I guess that's true. But like how many years took place between age of Ultron and uh, infinity, infinity war? war. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I guess you're right. Never mind. Never mind. Hmm. I, I don't know the answer of how many years there, but it probably was only a few, right? I yeah, I don't know. I, I, it just it strikes me that like that relationship b- between Wanda and Pietro is like the central relationship of the show right now, um, and it's just surprising. That's all that she's that like, and you know we get that moment and that we'll talk about. I'm sure in a second where like she sees his body that's like been riddled with bullets again, and she sort of recoils the same way that she did when she saw 
the real quote unquote vision um, earlier in the season. So I, just the idea that she's like still grappling with Pietro's uh, loss is, um, you know, just added complexity for the Wanda character, which I appreciate. Hey, Ben, uh, Wonder Woman is pining after Chris Pine, like <laughs> what decades? Yes, decades that's true. later. It is very, very true. Grief is a complicated thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, the twins speed off together and Wanda tells them just don't go past Ellis Avenue, which will come into play later. Uh, Monica, Darcy and Wu break into the server tent, hack into the database as, you know, because it needs to be that silly, like hack into database type thing. Uh, <laughs> and they find the secret plan, which is the code name cataract, um, which I'm guessing has a possible meaning. The only which ex- escapes me. The only thing I can think of is like a silly pun uh, that having a cataract can greatly affect your vision. But yeah, uh, Jacob, do you have any theories on cataract? No, I thought it was it possibly meant trying to hide something, obscuring vision from somebody. You know, but ah. I, I think I, either way, it definitely is a vision pun built into that name. Yeah. Uh, Hayward had found a way to look into the hex and is tracking vision, not only tracking vision, but he's tracking like every body inside the hex. Um, and Wu notices that the people at the edges of the town are barely moving and asks if they are alive. Again, people are questioning if the people in there are alive, Ben, I'm just saying, um, inside the hex vision walks down, uh, cul-de-sac filled with unmoving people. He flies into the air, notices that one area of Westview is very busy with activity, but the outskirts are dark and quiet. And I'm guessing that area that's, you know, busy with activity is the one that has Wanda in it. Uh, I guess we already answered this earlier on, but like, you know, why, why are these outskirts like so, like, why are the people not moving? Jacob, you didn't, I think, uh give a theory on that i mean i think it's just as simple as the people who are not in the proximity of wanda aren't important and are just mm-hmm. going through the motions until they're needed by the plot until whether that's be a, a character or a background actor uh they've just been minimized to the point of being shells that are called in when necessary and i just put in this creepy autopilot when they're not in proximity to the main characters of the show yeah uh vision comes across agnes in her car and agnes is looking very confused she asks where the town square is, a place that Vision knows very well that she should actually know the location of. Uh, Vision unlocks her true self, and uh, Agnes is shocked that one of the Avengers is there to help them. Vision doesn't seem to know what the Avengers are. Agnes questions if she's dead because Agnes notes Vision is dead. And then um, she tells him that no one leaves and that Wanda won't even let them think about it. Which to me kind of is weird because, you know, in a previous episode, there was a doctor that thought he was going to leave to leave the town. Like, it, 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 there's definitely people thinking about leaving. But anyways, OK, I'll, we'll skip over that. Aren't, aren't uh, they thinking they're thinking about it in the, in the context of a sitcom plot? He's leaving town because it's, yeah. a, it's a hassle for her to have her doctor go away while she's pregnant. Oh, no. Whereas actually leaving out in, in a way that's not tying to the sitcom plot is a very different thing. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, she starts laughing maniacally, which uh, we should also note what you noted earlier, Jacob, that she's wearing a witch's hat here. But this whole thing confuses me because 
week to week, I felt that Agnes is responsible to that uh, for this in some way that she might be Agatha Harkness or she's somehow like there's pulling the strings, but now she shows up and it seems like she's under Wanda's control. She's very confused. It doesn't seem like she's doing this to like trick vision in some way, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, she shows up at the right moment to possibly distract vision from leaving the hex maybe. Uh, but then she has this maniacal laugh and is wearing a witch's costume. So what do you guys have to say about this? I keep going back to the interview that I did with Jack Schaefer, where I asked her about the, uh, you know, red herrings and stuff. And she said that she and her team definitely put stuff in there. And I kind of am wondering if the whole Agatha Harkness thing is just a giant red herring. Um, And she and the rest of the people at Marvel knew that people would draw that conclusion and especially putting um, Catherine Hahn in that witch costume and, you know, having the, the brooch imagery and all of that kind of stuff. They know that people are going to be paying close attention to the show and, and drawing those conclusions. So I wonder if it's like a, a faint, like a, you know, it's, it's just um, all, uh, you know, just trying to, to generate some theorizing and stuff. And it's not actually going to be anything because it's either that, or it's an elaborate troll job. Like you mentioned where she, you know, this entire interaction is just her putting on a performance. Um, but you saw visions like, uh, powers, you know, that yellow lightning, for lack of a better term, shoot out of his fingers and and touch her head and seemingly unlock something. And if she's a witch, sure, maybe, you know, you could argue that like she's faking that or could fake that or just be a good actress within this world um, who could, you know, slip in and out of, of uh, personas or whatever. But I, I, I kind of got the feeling that that interaction with her was genuine. And if that's the case, Maybe she isn't quite as powerful or as, uh, you know, demonic or whatever as, as you know, all of the theorizing has sort of uh, lent itself to. It is very interesting that we are now six episodes down of a nine episode show and we don't clearly know who the bad guy is. Sure, we we suspect, though, I mean, they're, they're clearly trying to lead us believe that Wanda's the bad guy here. But I think there's something more at play. And we know that S.W.O.R.D. is involved and Hayward's involved in some way. But it's interesting that we're this far into the plot and we don't have a clear indication. I'm wondering if there's even room to bring in a new character. Yeah, that, that's my thought, too. Like the the further we go, I mean, the fact that that Mephisto and uh, Agatha have not been like openly confirmed or like, uh, you know, even hinted at, like set up in a in a in a blatant way as like the stinger, the final tease of an episode or something like that makes me think like, you know, the clock is ticking. Like there's not that much time left in this season of television. And for them to, it's a, it's a big ask to introduce the literal devil in the Marvel cinematic universe and, and have him, you know, pop and pop in here and then uh, explain how he's been sort of pulling the strings for the past X number of episodes um, the more time that goes by without confirming that, the the less likely I think it is. But Jacob, I'm curious what you make of that. Yeah, I mean, just go back to the beginning of the question. I mean, there are, there are two obvious reasons here. Since since we still have Agnes's face on the board in the sword headquarters, we never saw that. I have to assume that she's not just another ordinary citizen, which means she either is, you know, pulling a fast one and pretending to be a a one of Wanda's prisoners and doing so in a way that, uh, that torments him specifically by saying he's dead, which, you know, adds the devilry of it. Or she 
is somehow involved but get wrapped into it like a servant of mephisto or mephisto i don't know how you say that i've only ever read it first i'm saying it out loud <laughs> um and uh and she was and maybe she's serving him subconsciously uh and get wrapped into it beyond her control so those are my, my two clear reads on it uh but my whole thing is i don't mind a late villain reveal as long as the reveal is that he's been he or she's been there the whole time whether it be agnes herself or it be the many animals <laughs> that could be Satan watching every episode, a little flashback saying, I've been here the whole time, flashback to all the scenes where we saw animals. Um, but, you know, late villain reveals, I'm not opposed to it. Like I said, as long as it's not just, here's a whole new character, as long as it is, I've been here the whole time, here's the evidence. Okay, speaking of third acts, let's get into the third act of this episode. Uh, Monica gets a text from her aerospace engineer contact from the last episode. And says her way back into the hex will be there in just an hour, which I take to mean, a.k.a. next episode. Um, I guess, uh, you know, Jacob, you weren't here last episode. Who do we think her aerospace engineer, who, who is her guy? Oh, I don't want to repeat anything I said previously, but my my first Marvel thought was Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four, maybe even pre-Fantastic Four, but... That would involve WandaVision introducing a lead actor from a movie that's not being made for a few more years. So that uh, that was my knee-jerk response to a guy who builds spaceships in the Marvel yeah. Universe. But um, otherwise, I don't know. I really have no good good guess beyond that. I'm not sure if you've seen this, Peter, but I've seen some speculation that it could be Riri Williams, the character who plays Ironheart, or the, the alter ego of Ironheart. Um because that so Ironheart, uh, Jacob, why don't you do like a you know thirty seconds on Ironheart just to like catch people up in case they're unfamiliar? Yeah, Tony Stark died for a bit in the comics, and uh, a holographic AI version of him mentored a genius young uh, black teenager uh, who builds her own Iron Man suit in in her garage, becomes a hero. She stuck around even after Iron Man came back to life in the comics, and she's getting her own Disney Plus show. So maybe this is where we first see her. Yeah, and the reason I say that is because. Um, or, or I guess the, the reason that this theory I think is like picking up a little bit of steam is because the, they've already cast the person to play Ironheart in the upcoming show. And we don't know exactly when that show is going to come on yet, but casting a person, you know, this early, uh, if they've cast somebody, I think that that means it's fair game that they could show up in any Marvel property. So the idea of Maria knowing somebody who is super smart, who might be able to, um, you know, that, that, that would be less complicated than introducing and have left baggage with it than introducing a member of the Fantastic Four. Um, if it's a character that we've never seen so far, Ironheart seems like, you know, a, a good uh, potential choice anyway. I like that theory, but she uses the pro, the, the him pronoun. Actually, oh, that's think, right. Yeah. I think, uh, I think you're right. says her guy at one point. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. I guess that, that sort of throws things off. Maybe it's like, roadie uh maybe it's war machine but is i see an engineer i don't know am i reading too much into this to think because they've built building this person up for two episodes now to think that this has to be someone we know or like a either someone we know or someone that's going to be a character in the future of this mcu I think it has to be someone we, we, we know or an important character. For it to be just some rando being like, oh, thanks a lot. For a, a, It has to be a cameo from somebody who we know or somebody who we're going to know. I really, I would be disappointed if it was something in between, to be honest. Okay, so Hayward has Monica's blood work and shows that her cells have are abnormal from going through the uh, boundary twice. 
Uh, Darcy hasn't made it through Hayward's last firewall and decides to stay behind as Monica and Wu go to meet Monica's contact. Uh, back in the hex, Pietro asks Wanda where she was hiding all the kids until now. He assumes that they were just sleeping in their beds. Um, by the way, I this is my theory on why the people aren't moving on the edges of the hex is because before she had all those all those kids like in their beds unmoving and she only had the control of the adults. And now that she has to take control of all these kids running around that her, her power is not able to, she's not able to control all those, all those adults and all those kids at one time. It's my, my theory. Um, but I could be wrong. Uh, I know this is played for comedy, but uh, Pietro basically lays out the whole thing. He says, no need to traumatize young children aside from a special holiday episode. He says she handled uh, the ethical considerations the best she could. Families and couples stayed together. Personalities stayed similar. People got better jobs. He, he almost makes it sound like it was a good thing. It was a good thing for everybody involved here. Um, this, to me, leads me to believe that Pietro was sent in here to stop Wanda from feeling guilty. And he, he, his purpose here is to, to keep up the illusion, which is kind of getting shattered at this point. And uh, if you remember the lyrics at the beginning of this, this TV episode, uh, the lyrics go, don't fight the chaos. Don't question what you're done, what you've done. The game can try to play us, but don't let it stop the fun. So I don't know. Do you think I'm reading too much into that? Like maybe whoever sent Pietro, whoever's behind him, I I feel like it's trying to keep this, this, um, this matrix of sorts going this, this reality. And like, he sees that it's, it's, it's it, whoever's in charge of this sees that it's kind of fracturing and is trying to, for whatever end game, be it, be it the kids or whatever, is trying to keep, keep it still intact with her. I think you're right, Peter. I think whether Pietro is, has some control, some free will or not, he is here to do exactly that. And, you know, for a woman whose, whose fictional life is falling around her, you know, gifting her, her dead brother from another world, even if it, it's still her brother in some dimensional capacity, uh, feels like something sinister saying throwing her a bone so i i think especially with those theme song lyrics you're on something i like that idea too because it it doesn't necessarily mean that the x-men have shown up in the mcu this early in a way that maybe you know we, we were all sort of theorizing about at the uh, at the end of uh, pietro's first introduction because it could just be somebody in disguise or like somebody um like you said just like sending this one character in and then we're going to realize, you know, okay, this is just a, um, you know, a costume or a projection or like, it's not necessarily like the door being fully open, but I, I could, I think I would like it a lot if at the end of WandaVision, Pietro's appearance here was just to serve the story purpose of this story that they were telling instead of being, you know, this, this huge bridge into the multiverse and all of this other stuff that seems like it would be it would need to be handled in on a much bigger scale instead of just all of it being shoved into 
what is supposed to be a comparatively smaller, you know, Disney plus TV show. Um, so yeah, I, I hope you're right, Peter. Uh, well, we learn here, she seems to know that she's doing it, but when Pietro asks, how did she manage to do it? She seems confused and admits that she doesn't know how she created this whole thing. She, she felt completely alone. She says, I felt completely alone, empty, endless nothingness. And uh, the only thing that occurs to me is that kind of feels like that little kid on the island in the commercial. I don't know what that means about that commercial. The little kid who was suddenly approached by a satanic cool shark who said, hey, here's a deal with the devil. That one, Peter? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. When she looks back at Pietro, he's dead and riddled with bullet wounds. This is the moment that uh, Ben mentioned earlier. Uh, Why does this keep happening to her? Maybe it's just like when she um, like starts grappling with reality in her own mind, uh, it it just the um, the illusion starts to break down. Like you know, she's she's like almost off in her own world, like really thinking about her situation. And then when she looks back, um, you know that this reality has intruded into this space that she's created, or maybe she didn't fully create it you know it's it's help uh it's it's being created for her in some some ways too so um yeah that would be my guess it's just like anytime she sort of like you know has this reverie these these daydreams of like uh you know the the real trauma that uh, embracing the real trauma that she's faced in her life um these moments start to slowly creep in yeah and uh right about then darcy breaks through the firewall and finds the file we don't get to see what the file is. It's probably important. We're probably going to learn about this next episode. Um, but it, it's what do you guys think it is? Uh, Jacob, do you have any ideas? I mean, either a reveal about the DNA of the people who've gone through, something more specific, or uh, confirming that uh, Hayward and Sword are up to no good in a way very similar to what S.H.I.E.L.D. went through in Winter Soldier, which would be a huge disappointment. I don't want the, the same plot line happening again is what I'm very worried about here. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it could be, you know, some sort of master plan for like what they're, what they intend to do with vision once they, you know, get their, once they get their hands back on him again. Cause it seems like that's the, the, um, you know, the underlying thing is like, they don't really give a crap about Wanda. They just want vision's body back so they can continue their experiments. Um, so yeah, I, I wonder if it's just like, Somebody, you know, Hayward was dumb enough to write it down in a memo and save it on a jump drive or something. Why would he do that? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's that that whole file, the security cam footage that we already saw. So I don't, I don't know what what it could be, but I'm sure it's implicating him and what they were trying to do with Vision. Uh, okay, so Vision crosses Ellis a- Avenue. Um, he tries to push through the boundary. It's really tough because the boundary is trying to pull him back through, pulling pieces of his body back through. Uh, Billy can hear what's happening and for the first time uses his powers, extending a glowing hand, stopping his super speeding brother. Um, They alert Wanda. Pietro says, don't worry. It's not like her dead husband can die twice. And with that, she she throws him across the town square with her powers. Uh, Billy's able to see what is happening in his mind. I guess Jacob right now would probably be a good time to ask you like what are, what exactly are Billy's powers? Uh Billy's powers are essentially his mom's powers in many ways, you know, um telepathy, you know, uh and telekinesis. They're just standard Marvel magical fire things from my hands and mind powers to be perfectly honest. <laughs> uh 
Okay, uh, Vision falls to the ground motionless, and Darcy is handcuffed to a vehicle. Wanda freezes Westview and creates a red surge, expanding the boundary of the hex. Uh, sword agents make a run for it, but Darcy is stuck and gets overtaken by the boundary. Uh, so we assume that she's now in the hex. Um, the sword helicopter becomes a hot air balloon. The tents become circus tents. The agents become the clowns that they really are. And uh, uh, Hayward narrowly escapes the boundary in an SUV, but is met with radio silence when he's trying to contact the sword agents. Uh, the boundary overtakes the the crappy Westview town sign, and it now looks like a 1950s quaint uh, sign. It says, home, it's where you make it. Uh, the last image of this episode is a close-up of Wanda's face with the scarlet glow fading from her eyes. It's pretty badass. And um, you know what I, I really hate, guys, about the show is... Uh, I hate that fucking standby screen that pops up in an episode when I want to see more of what's going on. Like it always like is like this big like I don't know. It's 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 like a it's a brick wall that I'm like speeding at like you know 88 miles per hour and I I hit the brick wall. Anyways, um, any thoughts on the uh, on all that stuff that happened, uh, the expansion of the the hex and. How, uh, I guess the circus has come to town. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if I, I hope that um, that Jimmy and uh, Monica did not uh, make it. Like, I hope that they got sucked in just so we can see um, Randall Park in sitcom form, because I think that would be really entertaining. I mean, he obviously has like sitcom bona fides. Um, and obviously we're going to be sat- we're going to be seeing Kat Dennings, who also has sitcom bona fides uh, in in the sitcom space uh next episode um but we never see exactly what happens to monica and uh and jimmy um so i am not sure if they uh you know i I like that it was left you know mysterious at the end there yeah jacob any thoughts on the ending of this episode it's all very big and very expensive and very (laughs) marvel-y it's the most familiar marvel has ever been in this show so far but you know, we're setting up a third act. We're setting up consequences for people's actions and some very big actions. So, sure, we need we need all the big, big sky portals, but on the ground this time. Okay, let's jump into speculation here. Um, there's a new theory gaining traction around the internet. I'm not sure if I buy any of this, but um, the theory is that Hayward is somehow controlling the events that. Uh, for Eastview police to be controlled outside of the bubble, someone needs to be controlling them. That some people think he's Ralph, as we've heard. We've always heard about Ralph, but we've never seen him. And that uh, there's something going on with him. Like, there's a, a lot of people point out that when we see his office in, I think, like the third or fourth episode of the show, we see his office. The only time a hexagon ever appears in the real world is in his office on like one of his walls. There's a bunch of frames of like uh, accomplishments and they're in a hexagon shape. So, uh, (laughs) and also people point out that the word Hayward means uh, someone who guards an enclosure of land. Um, 
I read someone else uh, pointed out that uh, his name contains all the letters needed for Hydra. <laughs> so, um, what, <laughs> Jacob? Do you th- do you think there's more to Hayward than we than we know? I, I mean, obviously, there's more to him that like he was trying to do something with Vision to weaponize Vision. There's some evil there, but is there more than that? I hope so. Uh, if it's if it is what I think it is, it's such a naked retread of when a soldier is big twist that hmm. there has to be more. There has to be. It's all, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Okay, where where do we think we're going with Wiccan and Speed? Like in in the comic book version of this, someone is doing this to them to like steal the children. Right? Am, am I correct on that, Jacob? Yeah, they're essentially created so that their so they can their powers and their physical forms can be repurposed for nefarious purposes. So, which is why Agnes taking a sudden interest in them has upped all the theories about Agnes. And you know, I think I think there's something there. I, I think we're staring down the barrel of a Earthbound threat from Hayward and a more cosmic threat from Agnes and whoever she may be working for. Yeah, um, the whole for the children thing. There's been a lot made about children on this series so far i i kind of wonder you know the comic book ended with uh no more mutants right like it ended the mutants in the marvel universe am i correct in that jacob yeah it decimated the population of mutants it i uh, believe it uh erased or removed the powers of 99 percent of them i think they left only 100 mutants left for a few for a little while and i think that was you know undone a few years after that but it made mutants an endangered species in the marvel comic book universe so uh, i think we're looking at the verge of a reverse of that twist is that what you're getting at peter no yeah i think a lot of people are saying that but i'm wondering i don't know i feel like mutants are too early at this point because we don't even feige's been saying an x-men movie is years out like if you introduce mutants this early we're gonna wait like three four years for an x-men movie that was part of my frustration with Pietro showing up, this this version of Pietro. But I think maybe if if like I mentioned, maybe it's it's not as clear of a you know a bridge directly to that. Maybe it's just like a you know, the door is just barely creaking open instead of somebody, you know, kicking it down off its hinges, uh, then maybe I think it would be a little bit more palatable. This might be the stupidest theory that I have, but I was wondering if you're gonna like that's an iconic moment in that comic book series and if you're gonna try to play with that moment in some way for this tv series maybe (laughs) what if wanda said no more children and all the children in the world disappear she got children to met all of us (laughs) peter Uh, it's pretty dark for a disney show peter yeah well uh, yeah i i think it's probably not gonna happen because we already have this like world altering event of the blip and I don't feel like there's a need to add another thing like that in there, but yeah, they haven't even grappled fully with the consequences yeah. of the blip yet. Yeah. I, I will say that if Marvel and Wanda create mutants this way, I'd be on board with it purely because the, uh, there needs to be some time for people to grow wary of mutants and afraid of mutants for the X-Men to have a reason to form. Uh, so if they do it now and wait five years, to make an X-Men movie, it would make logistical sense within this world for people to have grown fearful of that. Hmm. Yeah, I like that idea. That's a good point. Okay, they mentioned that uh, Monica got her powers from going through the boundary twice. So Darcy gets sucked 
in through the boundary. Like she actually goes through the boundary when it's red. Is Darcy going to get powers? They specify that, um, that Maria went through twice. So I'm wondering if that is necessary to mess up the DNA enough. But you know what? I am all for Cat Dennings having the ability to fly and shoot things from her hands, Peter. <laughs> um, Peter, can I do like uh, like three or four minutes on Monica Rambo based on a, an article that I wrote for SlashFilm.com earlier this week? Yes. Okay, so um, there is a uh, character poster that was released of her where she's wearing what appears to be like a white sweater with a black on the top of it, sort of in the shoulder area. And then that same sweater, a version of that same look went on sale at the Disney store earlier this year. And some people have uh, wondered if this is a hint toward uh, Monica's comic book, um, like superhero identity, because in the comics, Monica Rambeau has taken on a number of different superhero identities over the years. You know, for a long time, she was known as Captain Marvel. Um, She had a couple of different uh, aliases, including Pulsar, Photon, which was the military call sign of her mother, uh, Maria Rambeau. And then one of them is uh, Spectrum. And as Spectrum, that that costume of that Spectrum character is uh, essentially a white and black color scheme that many people are wondering, oh, is this costume that Monica is wearing in this character poster, is she actually going to wear that in the show? Is that a hint that she is going to maybe take on this Spectrum persona within the series? And so um, in the comics, uh, Spectrum is able to phase through solid matter uh, and and sort of like... uh, manipulate energy fields depending on their wavelength and we've seen phasing in the mcu before in the character of ghost in ant-man and the wasp who had that same type of ability where she could sort of go in and out of walls and and things like that Hmm. um and uh i this this is sort of a longer stretch here that is gets into like the speculation category but uh Elsewhere in the comics, Spectrum uh, realized that she had transcended humanity with her power and became an immortal being of light, which seems like a, um, you know, uh, something that you cannot sustain as a character. Like we've talked a lot about how like Captain Marvel might be like too powerful and like the Superman problem of like, how do you even tell stories about characters that are that powerful? But um, in the comics, there was this... uh, This big battle, and I'm going to read from the Wikipedia page here. Uh, The end of this adventure took the heroes to the entry point to the house of ideas, a plane of existence, and the core of all reality. Monica burned out most of her power, helping Vision reach inside the house of ideas, becoming the only hero capable to follow uh, this, this essentially Greek goddess of the night inside and stop her. Due to this exertion, Monica returned to her previous power levels, becoming human again. So the idea that in the comics, uh, Monica is help, does something, makes a sacrifice to um, help Vision, I just thought was kind of an interesting potential look into what could happen at the end of this series if Marvel does not want the character of Monica Rambeau to come out of this series being a superhero character um, if they are instead grooming her for, you know, a high, want, wanting her to have like a higher leadership role at sword or something, but want to also nod at, Hey, we know from, you know, uh, Hey, comics fans, we know that this character obviously gains powers in, in the comics or whatever. They could give her these powers from going in and out of the hex and then have her, you know, do some sort of heroic act at the very end of the show to, uh, to save Vision or do save Wanda, maybe because um, she seems very intent on trying to save Wanda, um, that could maybe zap those powers away and return her to 
you know, normal humanity, um, if they wanted to take another superhero off the board um, while still sort of nodding to the comics fans. So I don't know, just a thought, just a theory I was having. Wait, why would they give her powers and then take them away in the same show? Well, because like, what if uh, they don't want, because if this, this idea of like her being this immortal being of light, what if she's too powerful now where, you know, you, you put your thumb on the scale of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in such a way where adding this character just makes it uh, impossible to for any event to happen where, um, you know, already it's stretching the, the logic to be like, well, why are these individual adventures just not calling in Thor to beat the shit out of these guys with <laughs> Mjolnir or whatever? And if there's an immortal being of light wandering around on the planet who has, you know, this sort of indefinable power set, um, if the show introduces her and gives her those powers and then just ends and she's still wandering around, that would be uh, a lot for audiences of, you know, who didn't watch WandaVision to just sort of take in, in another property. If, if Monica just pops up suddenly completely powered up in, in this way. And then also just the, yeah, the sheer power of it might be something that Marvel might not want that character to have. Hmm. Well, we do know that she's going to appear in Captain Marvel too. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you make some good points. I, 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 it could go either way, in my opinion. I feel yeah, like it could I, be any any combination of those things. But just based on the that comic stretch, yeah. that comic uh, run that I'd never heard of before, I thought that was maybe could lead into some interesting things in the the back half of the show. I do feel like if if you're gonna give her powers and you're gonna like have this whole setup and this reveal that she has powers, I would hope that they don't take away the powers like an episode later. Do you know what I mean? We haven't even learned that she yeah. has powers yet, and like there's three episodes left. So it seems like the timeline is very tight on that for me, but I don't know. Okay, let's um uh is Agnes in on it? What do we Jacob, you think she's in on it right now, right? She's either directly in on it or she has been sucked into the illusion but was in on it. Ben, what do you think? Man, this is like the big thing. I'm I'm right there with you, Peter, where I'm just going back and forth. But um, like Jacob mentioned, her name is not on that board. Like that she doesn't have an ID. So I think that well, she, like, she, is that is that the thing where like the, the show is just trolling us like, oh, you know, somebody somebody in, in next episode or something is going to be like, oh, here's the the driver's license for this character. It was under a bunch of paperwork and like they just purposely kept her off the board just to keep us speculating. Or is there really something going on with this character? I don't know. And she was like squirting lavender all over the kids. Oh, my God. I don't I can't decide. I feel like she's OK. She's in on it. She's she's in on it. That's that's where I'm settling. You know, I'll take the other side just to to have some kind of money in this uh this <laughs> this gamble. I I do think m- maybe she is the wit- the witness and protection, and the reason why we haven't seen Ralph is because there isn't a Ralph. You know, that's like the cover story is like she's living with Ralph, but we don't see Ralph. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably not true, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put the float that out there. Uh, I I do think I do think it's been very suspicious in the past, but this episode really doubled down on the fact that she was not in on it, that like she's under control. So I, I don't know, we'll have to see. Okay, um, I guess one last question for you guys: uh, Is Vision okay? Like, will he be okay in the next next episode? Will he does want to have to like rebuild? Like, how does that work? Because he seemed like he was physically like, or emotionally, Peter. I mean, both. <laughs> 
physically he'll be fine. I'm, I think the hex is going to restore him, but emotionally, I think Vision has gone past the point of being able to be shuffled back into the the show. He is. I think we see a very different Vision next episode. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay. That brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at Slash Film.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please do me a favor. Head on over to our iTunes page. Write us like a sentence or two saying why you like the show. That helps more people find the show, and it helps us greatly. It'll, it'll take literally 30 seconds of your time, and we will be forever grateful. Uh, you can send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at Slash Film.com. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see you on Monday. Thanks for listening.